Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into a very special edition of Late Night Reds Talk, the live show and podcast that loves the Cincinnati Reds, part of the Believe Network, presented as always by Bet Online. My name is Nick Kirby, and we are excited to bring you a special interview with Cam Miller. Uh, myself and Tim Daniel recently interviewed uh, Cam about his upcoming film, Riverfront Remembered. Uh, Cam was gracious enough with his time, and we talked about all kinds of things, including Riverfront Stadium. We even went down memory lane with the Cincinnati Gardens and a whole bunch more. Uh, really fun interview. Really excited for everyone to see this. Uh, before we get started with that interview, I want to tell you about our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first of market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from in game betting, props, and futures. Head on over to Bet Online today to use your mobile device to join and make your first bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50. That is B L E A V 50. Again, B L E A 50 uh, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online is where the game starts. And if you're watching tonight on YouTube, uh, please take two seconds, hit that like button, and subscribe to our channel. It uh, really helps us continue to grow the show and bring you great content uh, like tonight. All right, without further ado, here is our interview with Cam Miller. All right, guys. So joining us today, we have Cam Miller. Uh, Cam is obviously a part of uh, the Red Hall of Fame Museum, has a really awesome uh, documentary he's been working on. It's uh, very nostalgic for all of us called uh, Riverfront Remembered. Well, Cam, obviously, your heart and soul into, and you've been doing film production for a long time. Uh, so talk a little bit about this project, not only what this means to you, but just everything about it. Well, I was working on um, a film for the Reds Hall of Fame entitled Finley and Western. And it, of course, deals with Crosley Field, Redland Field, Palace of the Fans. It was about that corner that for over 100 years was just magical i mean what a what an unbelievable run that corner had of just great history and a few months ago uh chris Eckes, the uh chief curator at the hall of fame um came to me and said you know what about riverfront first i said you know that makes sense because we lost the girl 20 years ago uh hard to believe it's been 20 years 
And I was already working on a Riverfront film, kind of piecing it together. So it was very easy for me to jump in, almost like putting a puzzle together, right? I had the research done. I had the clips kind of ready, which is all in this scatterbrain. Just, you know, imagine a big bulletin board of film and you're just kind of picking pieces. And I was like, I, I can completely change gears. It's no problem. So I ended up doing that. And the more I started putting it together, because it was supposed to be just 15 minutes. It was going to be a kiosk. Um, and the Crosley field was going to be the big premiere one where it was going to be like a couple hours. The riverfront was going to be smaller scale. But as I kept digging and I kept going, I said, this, there's something more to this. I'm not sure what it is, but I think there's something magical here. Maybe it's because of the field of dream games this year. Maybe it's because I lost my father during the production of this. I don't know what it was, but this film took on a different meaning and it was incredible to, try to come up with a creative way to tell riverfront story so doing so i decided like why don't we go into the theater as if you're walking into a game in 1987 and the jumbotron's up on the screen and the scoreboard and you're walking in at 705 getting ready to watch a ball game 30 minutes before the first pitch and you're going to watch the history of riverfront with no narrator told through images and moving images and some sound bites the story of riverfront and I discovered so many things. It was incredible. Um, things that I didn't know. And I thought I knew it all about Riverfront because it was my home away from home for so many years. But it's just been an incredible journey to put this together. And I'm so happy that we're finally, you know, nearing the finish line for it um, with the premiere on September 9th. But it, it's and I think it means so much more to me um, than Crosley. I never went to Crosley. You know, I'm too young for that. But I lived at Riverfront. So I think this has an impact on people much more than Crosley will, because most of the people that went to Crosley, they're not around anymore, unfortunately. So um, that crowd is kind of dying off. And now we've got this new, I mean, 20 years, it's hard to believe. So um, I'm really looking forward to getting this, this bad boy out there for everybody to see. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, so Riverfront was my first stadium. I'm um, 33. So it was you know, the one I grew up going to at first. Um, I have so many memories about, I grew up in Northern Kentucky, right there in the Bellevue Newport area walking the bridge over, watching the 99 team every night was so fun for me as a kid. I was like 10 watching that team and they were, they were awesome, you know? So like, I have fond memories of that. Um, I remember like, where are we sitting for this game? Are we in the red seats? Are we in the blue seats? We in the green seats, just like those memories. So that's where I'm really excited because I'm the ultimate sucker for nostalgia already. Uh, so well, get me, ready, get your tissues lived, ready. Yeah, <laughs> something I actually lived in Saul, and I was, I actually was at the implosion uh, with my dad. Uh, so you know, have a lot of memories of Riverfront, and uh, so this is gonna be really cool. You know, what are some of your, you know, you talked about living there basically, and I, you know, attest to that from the '99 season. Uh, you know, being there the first time I saw Ken Griffey Jr. play in person in 2000 when he came to the franchise was just like a life-changing moment as a child what are some of the memories you have that really stick out there you talked about you know your dad and you going there and stuff like that and going you know all the times you were kind of going but something that jumped out to you from your tenure going to riverfront that just kind of maybe came out a little more uh in your personality maybe from this film yeah it's you know i did learn something interesting um while making this film talking to my mother and she said your first game, you know, Cam was the 75 world series. And I said, you, you can't be serious because I, I would know that. Right. But apparently she had told me that over the years, I just thought she confused me with another one of my brothers because there was no way, but apparently I went to one of the games that were front and the 75 world series, I would have been one and a half. So I have no recollection of it, 
But fast forward to 1978, I go to my first game and I can distinctly remember going up the escalator. I can distinctly remember seeing that expansive green field and it just blinding me um, in an amazing way. The smells, uh, the stale beer, just the, the, the sensory, just the unbelievable, um, the feeling that you got when you went to that park. And but I would say that my if you if I had was pinned down and said, well, what, what, what do you remember about it? What's your memory? It's it's riding my bike from Latonia, Kentucky, 40 blocks or so as a 10 and 11 year old with my friend stopping and getting a soda, getting some baseball cards to trade and then riding my bike, locking it up on a bike rack, going down to a businessman special and having either my dad or his father pick us up because we were too tired to ride our bikes all the way back and throwing it in the back of the station wagon and coming home. But going to those games in the 80s right eric davis barry larkin what an unbelievable team and we didn't win the world series in the 80s but there was something about going to the ballpark and knowing who was playing being able to write in that scorecard pretty much you knew what the lineup was going to be man i said a few changes and just being taken away from everything else you didn't have to worry about that math test that you had coming up you didn't have to worry about if the girl that sits behind you, if she thinks you're cute or not, you just were soaked into this embedded into this moment at a magical ballpark that I'm telling you it, it the further I got into this, it's such an unbelievable park. And the fact that it was even built is, is amazing. So um, I just, I, I remember distinctly everything about the scoreboard, you know, the, the, the green turf, the plastic seats, how easy it was to get in and out of that ballpark. It was just such a special place. And as a child, I moved away when I was 14 and came back here as an adult. So I really missed it during my teenage years. But I will never forget riding my bike down to those businessman specials. They were just glorious times. So, Cam, I, I've definitely gone on some riverfront rabbit holes, uh, you know, on YouTube and everywhere else. Uh, I, I regret not going to more games, you know, towards the last few years, I was getting close to high school, junior high. Um, didn't get to go as much as a kid as I, I, I wish I could have, but Hey, whatever. So I've always like tried to look up video and I just feel like there is so little video. Did you have that problem? And what did you maybe able, able, able to come up with some um, unlikely sources for some videos and photos throughout the process. T just talk about the, the process of finding uh, film and photos and all that kind of stuff. So luckily I work for the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame Museum. I have access to some of the archives and it's, you would think that they would have a lot, but we really don't. There seems to be this, we have some, don't get me wrong, but it seems to be this once Riverfront closed, it was like, dust off the hands and moving on there was this we have all this stuff from crosley and we have all of this nostalgia for crosley but riverfront just gets buried in the backyard like dirty little secret and i never really understood that um luckily we've uncovered more things as we've gotten a hold of collectors and some people that have like you said posted things on youtube so thankfully that I, I'll, I'll be honest with you fans have really come through um with photos um for instance i was talking to mo egger about this not too long ago about how there's not a lot of stuff when it comes to the concourse, I mean, you can remember the field, you can remember the outside, but it's tough to find inside pictures. I've got a few, I've got some video, um, but yeah, you're right. It's really difficult. And I don't know why that is. I really think it's, and I, I, it would be interesting to see if it's the same thing for three river stadium or the vet in Philly. Was that how it kind of worked out where they just kind of, everybody just dusted their hands of it and said, okay, that's enough of that. 
we're the Reds Hall of Fame. We're the best Hall of Fame. I mean, besides Cooperstown, it's just a magnificent place. So, and our archives are extensive, but there's just not a lot there when it comes to um, Riverfront. I do have some things that are cool. Some things have never been seen before. So that's cool. But um, yeah, you're right. It's just, it's, you can go down a rabbit hole in Riverfront, but usually you're seeing the same thing. I've probably watched the 1987 Reds Dodgers game probably 10 to 15 times. <laughs> it's just like, there's just a hope, hope against hope. So he says something about the park that I could use, you know, Vin Scully or something like that. So yeah, it's been a challenge, no doubt, which is interesting because it's Riverfront. It's not that long ago, but yeah, it is weird. It's a, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah, it's like the, so. There's like no video of like just a tour of the stadium or anything. Rare, I will say. To be honest with you, um, I was so lucky because, as you probably know, you've seen me post my scoreboard animations. Um, a few years ago, we were working on a 1980s exhibit for the Reds Hall of Fame, and um, I was able to. We, we were looking through things. There's got to be something about the scoreboard, right? Well, what happened was is that we found this VHS transferred to DVD that said Riverfront Animations. And I'm like, what is this? I couldn't wait to get home, plug it in. It turns out sometime in the early 1980s, someone at the Reds, we don't know who, stuck one of those 1980s VHS cameras, you know, on the scoreboard after a game and just let the animations loop and they recorded it. So I have 55 minutes to an hour of just all of those animations uh, and it was perfect. I had to do a lot of reworking of them um, because they were the, the quality was terrible. But some of it I wanted to be terrible because it gives you that charm, right? Um, you know, the hot dog sausage, you know, the, the umpire fighting with the manager, the uh, Red Mr. Red's race, all of the classic things from the 80s and 90s and even the 70s. Um, but having that resource, it led us into other things like, oh, well, we might have something else. So we kept digging and digging and digging. But you know, I wish somebody would have taken their camera around and just walked around the whole stadium, went into every concession area, just documenting it, which is why today everybody does that. You great American. I mean, you can find millions of videos because of cell phones, but back in the day, you just didn't have that, you know, technology. So it really wasn't as prevalent, but I'm lucky that I do have quite a few um, shots that I had never seen before. Um, and again, the film was 30 minutes. Um, the original cut was four hours. <laughs> it was Ken Burns esque. And because I'm a, I'm a dork and I love to make long films and I realized it wasn't going to work. And plus the theater doesn't have the capability to show, you know, cause it's programmed into their system. So it had to be 30 minutes. That's their limit, which is fine. But I will, I, I said this the other day, I'm going to do a book. So I'm doing a film. That's kind of like the commercial for the book, right? I'm doing it reverse. Usually you do a book, right? And then you do the film. I'm doing this 30 minute film that gives you riverfront. And then I'm going to, uh, because I just found out so many interesting things and the politics of the stadium getting built and just some unbelievable side stories, conversations with construction workers. You know, it's just a great tale. And it's, I mean, in a city like Cincinnati, it's amazing that the, the thing got built in the first place. But what a testament to everybody that really wanted to make sure that we had a multi-purpose stadium for baseball and football and for, of course, concerts. But yeah, what a, what a fantastic journey finding some of this stuff, man. Man, now you say that, I totally forget about my first Bengals game was also at that stadium. And I saw yeah, Boomer Esiason right. with the Jets playing at the Bengals. Yeah. Ah, yeah. nice, nice. Painful, painful for my father, who was a diehard <laughs> Boomer Esiason fan. Mm -hmm. Very, very painful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so you talked a little bit about one of my favorite things about Riverfront slash Synergy Field uh, was the scoreboard animations. Uh, the classic Mr. Redleg race is my all-time favorite. I petitioned all the time when I had season tickets and they said, what can we do better? I said, I want back the original Redlegs race because I'm a sucker for nostalgia like we talked about. I want the three, yes. uh, the three heads, one, two, three, going yep. across the Jumbotron. I don't need the, you know, Cintas in the fake video game looking thing. I understand they got to <laughs> make the sponsors happy, but this, you know, the scoreboard Jumbotron at there was so cool. And I remember like one of my favorite things too um, was when I would go with my dad and they would always do like this day in Reds history, you know, June 7th, 1977, George Foster hits a two run home run to beat the Mets or something like that. I don't think that actually happened. I'm just kind of throwing things out there, but having right. my dad be like, yeah, I went to that game. My brothers and I, we took, you know, like you talked about, we took our bikes across the bridge and we went and sat there and I saw George Foster hit those home runs. And like, right. I think just like the story with the, you know, just the scoreboard alone inside that stadium is something that's yeah. like just so monumental. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I, I have, I am such a geek when it comes to that scoreboard. I, once uh, 2014, 2015, whatever it was when we started working on that and doing the animations, um, I became obsessed and I went and reached out to some of the people that put, built it. I reached out to the programmers and, and people that, you know, uh, installed it and ran it. Um, actually, one of the people, Marsha Beal, who was one of the first women to work in, you know, uh, um, in the scoreboard in professional baseball, just an iconic hero to me. Um, she is married to Warren Brown, who was the bat boy for the 1970, 1972, um, Cincinnati Reds. So they got married. They worked for the Reds, got married and I'm good friends with Warren. We have coffee all the time and, um, she's going to be at the premiere. So I cannot wait to pick her brain. I mean, I'm going to be picking her brain, asking questions. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do because it's just so many great things about that scoreboard that just, it's an amazing thing. Um, one of the things that I love about, uh, the scoreboard is that it, um, it was not like you were saying about how it's, you don't have that charm anymore, right? It's sensory overload. When you go to the ballpark, it's WWF, it's football, NFL, NBA style. Baseball is not like that. You don't need that for baseball. You're there to watch a game and there's a purpose to the game with all of the lights and the things. It's just, it's always been a distraction to me and I, it's modern baseball. I get it. I understand. I'm not yelling at the clouds. I'm not the old man that's going to complain, but I do think that there was something to basic information. Did you knows scoreboard stumpers, little animations here and there to kind of make you chuckle and, you know, make your wager on who's going to win is going to be Mr. Red three or one or two. There was that charm about it. And it, there was, and it gave you the statistics that you needed, right? This is what you see, and this is the game, which is so, so, I know it's nostalgic, but it's also very simple, much like the ballpark. Efficient, multifunctioning machine. It was simple, just like the Reds. So, Cam, you said that uh, you have about three and a half extra hours. If you don't mind, don't, don't give away too much of the book, but can you share with us anything that you found doing your research that, that didn't make the cut that was, you know, maybe really interesting or something that you really were like it killed you not to leave in well once i got deep into it and i realized that i had to do a timeline and i had to be very strict within okay this happened here this happened here for starters um the story of riverfront stadium goes back 100 years many people think it starts in the 50s or 60s when you know the threat of moving and then the nfl's come to town but it starts 
in the 1920s when August Gary Herman, the Reds owner, is itching to get out of, uh, out of you know, Finley and Western. He wants to move on because he wants a multi-purpose, and there's a quote I pulled out of the paper, uh, a multi-purpose 50,000-seat stadium. I mean, he wasn't around to see it happen, of course, but they ended up signing the lease to buy, because at the time, the Reds owned just the stands. They didn't own Redland Field. They didn't own the land. They owned just the grandstands. And the lease was expiring in 1929. And then what happens is, is that the Reds end up saying, ah, just forget it. They thought about building this park here and there. And they just decided to buy the lease and they stayed there until 1970. So the seeds were planted for this multi-purpose, you know, ballpark a long time ago. That part's in the film. But I didn't understand some of the dynamics that went on between the NFL, the Reds, and Mr. DeWitt, the owner that moved in before Bob Housen came in and built the machine. There were so many backdoor deals and meetings. I mean, it's probably going to be four or five chapters of just that stuff. There were some eye-opening things. Uh, that politics, of course, of Cincinnati at the time. And that's why I say the fact that it got built is an amazing accomplishment. Um, but yeah, that whole thing of getting it built really, really, really impressed me. Like the people that they went to bat because they really wanted Cincinnati to take that next step. And they did. I mean, they got it done, which is not easy to do. I mean, you just have to understand the money situation at the time. Um, trying to build a park on the riverfront, which nobody thought could be done because that's just not where you put a baseball park, right? You build it out in the suburbs. That's where you build it. So, but they got it done and it's just a miracle. So I can't wait to share all of those deals. It's, it's like almost like a mystery. I mean, it's like, it's going to be written. Like you're not going to believe what happens next when you turn the page. It's really incredible. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. I'm actually really looking forward to that. I can't believe it hasn't been done yet. To be honest with you, like I was just doing this, film for the hall of fame part of my what i do and then the more i dug in and the more i realized it's like wait a minute you know chris eckes i think we got a book here because we were already going to do a book i'm already <laughs> working on the book for finley and western so i was knee deep i was already into the finley and western book to accompany the film when we just completely changed gears a few months ago so i don't remember what my life was like before i'm kind of in this new quest now <laughs> so it's like really and it's interesting like what was i doing before that because i have been in sucked into this riverfront zone which is awesome by the way i mean don't get me wrong i love it but wow what a journey it's been yeah absolutely and i think that's kind of made it one of the really cool things about it for you this might be more of a personal question in regards to the project um, you know, if you follow Cam on Twitter and, uh, if you're not following him on Twitter, you're doing it wrong. Um, you post a lot about, uh, not just your, you know, fandom of Cincinnati sports teams, but, uh, you're a very passionate person about music. Uh, if you're watching the video, thanks for tuning in. You see behind Cam there, he's got some, some Beatles vinyls in framed. Um, yeah, you know, as you know, I'm yeah. sure Cam, one of the few people to play at Crosley Riverfront and, GABP is Sir Paul McCartney. So Absolutely. did you kind of ever like, if, without giving too much away the film, did you get to dive into any of that as far as like, like having people like him and like, I think like Bob Dylan may have played the stadium once before, but things like that. Well, here's what I'm doing. And um, I'm, I'm, I may be crazy for doing this, but I, I am doing. So the hall of fame film is for the reds. So the half hour film that introduces you to riverfront stadium and here's riverfront. Here's the story of riverfront with some things that 
kind of get your juices flowing for, and you're going to, it's nostalgic. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm making a trilogy, right? So there's that it's going to be in the hall of fame. And then online, um, in a few more months, I have the Bengals version, which is called riverfront remembered the jungle. So we're going to go back to the, the days of why it was called the jungle, who made it the jungle, why it's going to be about the Bengals stay there. And then the third film, which is going to be sometime early next year, is going to be focusing on the shows, you know, the Paul McCartney's, the Rolling Stones, the Cool Jazz Festival, the Symphony Orchestra that kind of, you know, ushered in as a concert venue, um, boxing matches, all of these crazy, you know, religious events. There's all of these events, non-sports related that took place there that are really, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's how much they, they did there. So a trilogy of films all starting with this riverfront and then the jungle and then the music one. And I can't wait to dig into that because I I do have some archive uh, footage of the Paul McCartney concert, which will be fantastic to go through and looking forward to finishing that up as well. Man, all three of those I'm stoked for. I cannot wait to finish them, man. It's gonna be awesome. So Cam, there was these renderings that came out Yes. Back in the, uh, I think it was the 90s, to potentially make Riverfront Stadium, I guess, kind of look like Great American in, in a right. way. Curious what your thoughts were uh, about, instead of you know going the, the route of Great American, um, renovating Riverfront. What, what do you think that would have been like? Would that have been something you would have been a, a fan of? Oh, absolutely. I understand the business side of it and Mrs. Schott and the owners and the, the powers that be. I understand why it didn't happen. The renderings that you're showing, absolutely incredible. Um, now, remember in 2001 when they gutted it, put the grass in, and then you had that view of out there in, in, in the outfield, like the potential. It was almost Shea Stadium-esque, right? You had this circle and then you had that cutout where you could see the river, but also you had the opportunity to put some buildings out there. What if you constructed some old warehouse looking buildings that could have housed the Hall of Fame or some businesses or some apartments that you would have had that Wrigley Field kind of vibe where you had them high rises where you could see that would be the catch. It would would cost you, you know, $10,000 a month to live there, but you would have this unbelievable view of the park. I mean, the potential for business down there and opening it up a little bit and having like a Redland ville right like wrigleyville does but having something reds related where and you're keeping the stadium right so the cost would have been cut down but again at the end of the day i was all for it i was absolutely 100 percent behind it when i saw these sketches back in the late 90s it was like let's do that but of course that wasn't they needed to modernize the things so they could sign their big free agents and get that stellar pitching staff that they had in the early 2000s i said sarcastically um but it's, you know, it's a business and I understand why they didn't, but man, I, I dreamed of a river riverfront renovated, you know, like something of like Shea stadium and having that openness and, and you're right, like great American ballpark, nothing against great American ballpark. It's, it's a fine park, but a renovated riverfront would have just been unbelievable. And you could have kept some of those old things, right? You could have had some of that nostalgia. It would have been a good mix, a hybrid, but alas, here we are. Um, talking about a film that for a stadium that was demolished 20 years ago, by the way, which uh, um, when it was demolished, one of the things, this is what moment motivating factor for this film was going through all of the footage. And I probably went through 60 hours of implosion footage. So that was rough enough. Right. But it was amazing to me going through it all to hear all of the 
cheers and the applause and the screams of, you know, thankfully it's gone. It was actually heartbreaking. Like, why are you cheering? This isn't, this is a sad moment. This isn't something to cheer. I understand the development. I get that side of it, but man, it was tough to go through because there was a lot of, of memories there and to see it all get crumpled down in seconds. It was, t- it was a tough pill to swallow. Kind of like that Manti Teo documentary, like you in the moment you were like, yeah. you were like egging him on yeah. and, and then you watch yeah. the documentary and you're like, Oh man, I feel really bad about I like, feel bad. You, yeah, making fun of this poor sad. guy, you know? Uh, yeah, right. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right. Mm-hmm. So you dream world, you get to choose Crosley field gets renovated and becomes like a Fenway park type long-term project or riverfront. What would you, what um, would you rather have? Oof, man. I love Crosley so much, but I just don't think that 20 years ago I would have said Crosley. Um, but now that I'm an old man, um, Riverfront is just I, I Riverfront because I think you could have done you have more space, right? Crosley, you are constricted and you can only tear down so many, you know, buildings, right? You can only you're landlocked, right? Riverfront, you could have expanded and just built this empire. You could have done so much down there and expanded even a bridge across like kind of like Pittsburgh has where they have that pedestrian bridge right there across the river going into northern Kentucky. There was so much more opportunity there. I would definitely say Riverfront. And that's only because now that I've grown up a little bit, the nostalgia of Crosley was it was a part of that time. Right. It fit in the 50s and 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Right. That whole era is 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 great. But there's something enticing about um taking that bowl that concrete you know donut shaped stadium and then just kind of building off of it and and making something grand grandiose i think that would have been so fun to see happen would have been really cool to to have the oh. the banks with uh with riverfront can you imagine yeah. oh oh so many beers <laughs> <laughs> we had so many of those in july together nick so yeah i guess i should say i did but <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick and Carlos came in town. It was pretty fun. It was my birthday weekend, so you know, ah, we had a good nice. time. Yeah. Hmm. Odd question. Fun one. So we're kind of talking about, I feel like, you know, part of the Reds history is not just the stadiums and obviously things like that, but, you know, uniforms is always a touchy conversation. Would you be able to pick a favorite uniform from the Riverfront era? I mean, the big red machine, obviously, with the, with the classic pullover, but is there like another one besides that that may stick out to one that you kind of adore from that from that Riverfront era? I'm, I'm always, and I, I said this in 2019 when I got, I was privy to see the uniforms before they became public. When they had the 150th anniversary, I was so lucky to get to see them all. And I was so amazed because when I saw the, the Vado 1970, before the pullovers came in 1972, those red belts, clean white, buttoned down with the no drop shadows, Reds logo C, it was incredible. And then to see them play in those and the the names and the numbers didn't have a stroke outline. It was just simple, clean, perfect with the stirrups. Are you kidding me? Amazing. I would use those pullovers in a modern way, right? The, the material wouldn't be polyester. You could make them better. I would use those as an alternate, right? And then those 1970, uh, 1969, 1970, that, that era of just the, the clean, crisp, button-down red belt uniform with the black shoes, um, just one of the best looks. And 
I, that's why I always say to people when they say, oh, the reds and uniforms and, and, you know, they change and this and that. And it's like, there's something, I, hate the Yankees all you want, but the Yankees have never changed uniforms. It, when you see those uniforms, you know who it is. I love that. I love that. This is us. We're not changing with the trends. We're not changing with the times. This is the uniform, clean, crisp, professional, um, which is why, I mean, again, the pullovers were fantastic because it's with them, some of the best years ever, right, was with those uniforms. But, man, give me those 1970 uniforms any day of the week. We've talked about if we could, you know, fantasy uniform the Reds. Right. Probably bring back the seven the 70 home jerseys, like you mentioned, and probably the 95 road jerseys. And I'm sad. Those were nice. Yeah, those were yeah. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The gray with the red pinstripe, my favorite. Yep. Pinstripes. Right. And I used to be I used to be against the pinstripes when it came out because I was like, oh, only the Yankees could be pinstripes. But there's something about those red pinstripes that, you know, they they grew on me. No they question. jump. It's like the yeah. Larkin MVP era. So it's oh, like really special yes. time in Reds history. Good point. You know, like yeah. Yeah. Right. And then they yeah. had those undershirts with just that wishbone white C that I always loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you'd see that, it was just all classic, clean, perfect. They're, that's the problem with today's uniforms is that um, we haven't changed. And the reason they haven't changed is because they had that, they bought the rights to that font. I mean, they paid good money to have that font design. So, of course, they're not going to change uniforms. They haven't changed, you know, since what, 2006 or seven, whatever it was. So, yeah. yeah um that's why they've kept them so long they bought that font and they own it so we're not changing and it's like oh, we're so due especially when you sell those bingo uniforms like oh come on it's our turn when can we have some new unis it's time <laughs> i love that you are a man of the people cam you're saying what we've been saying so i try i i try i love it it's it, it's time to it's time to embrace um the future but also the history we are the oldest franchise i know we're not don't get me started on that 1869 has nothing to do with the cincinnati reds the cincinnati reds started in 1882 it was the american association we were the world champions that was the beginning of this franchise 1869 great professional team no idea how many arguments in the hall of fame i had when people would come in with an 1869 shirt i'm like yeah technically the atlanta braves are the oldest <laughs> team and they're like oh what and the greg rhodes the uh the chief, you know, the head honcho at the Hall of Fame at that time would pull me offside. Cam, don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Cam, I uh, listened to your interview with Mo Ager. Really, really good interview. Really, oh, thanks, enjoy, yeah. really enjoyed that. Uh, I know this is a red show, but I would be distraught if I didn't ask you about the Cincinnati Gardens. That is something oh. that is so special to me, something that really broke my heart. And, you know, I, I was a little older when the gardens was destroyed versus Riverfront, so it, it, I, it felt more sentimental to me. And uh, I never actually – I'm a big college basketball fan, but I never actually got to go to a college basketball game. I went to a lot of hockey and stuff afterwards. Afterwards, I tried to go to any little event they had towards the end to, to get any taste of it. Talk a little bit about the Cincinnati Gardens. I know you had kind of started a project on that with the Royals. Talk a little bit more about the gardens. Yeah, uh, it's just unfortunate that I couldn't make the timing work. And I had this whole thing planned out with this great opening shot. I mean, I, it was in my head for months where you've got this unbelievable shot of of Oscar Robertson in the empty garden. And he's at a on a chair holding a basketball at center court and the lights are all off. And then you hear the boom, 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 the lights coming on and his teammates, surviving teammates come through the portals with basketballs. 
and then grab a chair and sit next to them. And that opens up. And then as that's, as they're all sitting there, they're looking around and projected onto the gardens seats are highlights from Oscar Robertson and the Royals and Bob Cousy and the whole thing. And I had the music written down because I composed all the music for my films. And I had this medley in my head. I, I went to the piano, I played it. I had this unbelievable opening and trying to get, of course, trying to get everybody together to make this project work, especially when I was funding it myself. Um, it just was not possible because soon after they tore it down. So that was the end of that. I still have the dream though, of going to the site and trying to do something. It's not dead yet. And of course, like I said on the Moegra show, it's tough because of the rights to the Sacramento Kings, the NBA, they don't joke around. It's very tough to get things made on the side without their, you know, it's not on NBA TV. So it's not easy, but I still dream of finishing that project. Um, I can't wait to finish that project. I know it will one day. I may be 85 years old and I may be telling somebody else what to do because I won't be able to pick up the editing suite in the camera. I'll be microphones. I'll be way too old for that. I, I hope it gets done because I have so many great stories to tell with that. Um, yeah, the Cincinnati Gardens, I have a special memory personally of that because in a former life, I was going to be a basketball coach. Um, and I was working a couple of jobs. I was working at the airport third shift and I was just trying to make ends meet. And I was also coaching basketball. And I coached uh, eighth grade team um, at Blessed Sacrament um, in Fort Mitchell. And I wrote a letter to Skip Prosser at Xavier. And I said, I want to go um, to a practice. Can I come down to a practice? He said, yeah, sure. So this was in, I want to say 95 or six. It was when they were, when UMass was number one. And Xavier was this ragtag group of guys, and they took him down to the wire at the gardens. I will never forget it. But it was a week before, and they were prepping for UMass. And I got the most unbelievable access from the late, great Skip Prosser. He let me, I'm just in there with my notebook, taking notes on a team practice. He took me on a tour of the garden. He took me on the secret rooms, the locker rooms. And here I am, you know, 21, 22 years old, this up and coming, wanted to be a basketball co coach guy, just amazed at what the history and he knew all about the history of the place he wasn't just the basketball coach he knew the history of that place and he gave me an incredible history lesson that saturday afternoon and i will never forget it i got to see the and i wish i had a camera at that time you know if i had a cell phone then i think i did but it was like a brick that you actually had. i think it was actual brick if i'm not mistaken uh just a different time but yeah, i was it was uh it was an incredible opportunity to go through that place. Just, just a wonderful building. And it's a shame that it didn't get the same, you know, love when it, when it was uh, torn down as you know, of course Riverfront did, but um, yeah, what an incredible building. The Beatles played there. I mean, Elvis, just, just, just hundreds and hundreds of, of acts. Um, it's just unfortunate that it kind of just went and nobody talks about it anymore. Yeah. I know uh, recently my wife and I, uh, we were just kind of looking for different things to do in town and we went to the uh, Neon Sign Museum. And, of course, yes. they have the uh, they have the classic Cincinnati Gardens on the outside of the building. Right. So that was pretty cool to see. And uh, I was kind of telling stories about when I went there as a kid. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, do you know, so with all the work you've had, so, like, you talked about with the NBA and how hard it is to get footage of things like that. But, like, with this, with the uh, Riverfront Project, did you have much difficulty with that? Because I mean, obviously working for the Reds Hall of Fame, was that something where, you know, you, did you have to go through a lot of licensing like conversations and things like that to kind of have like snippets of like gameplay or anything like that in this film? Oh, no, that's the great 
thing about having a relationship with the Reds. We have such a great archive. And, I, and again, I guess the difference between being a defunct team that's kind of now they're the Kings and they still technically exist. So the rights belong to them. So I, I, I can understand that. Um, but with the Reds, my relationship with them over the last 15, 16 years of being the, you know, the audiovisual guy for the for the Reds Hall of Fame. It's just what, what an unbelievable gig I have. Right. Um, the access, we have it all. And we and if we need something, um, we can get it. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be a lot more difficult back in 05, 06, 07. But um, with technology the way it is now, we can just, you know, ask for this and they'll give it to us digitally within seconds if we don't have it. I mean, and it's just what an incredible thing to be able to go through some of these things and find um, the footage I need or an image. Um, it's just incredible. And again, the relationship I have with them and us, you know, trusting each other and knowing that we have this or if we can't get it, we know where to get it. Um, it's just so it makes the job so much easier because I'll tell you, there are times when I get a hold of something and I just can't wait to get back into my home office to start digging through it. Because I've I found recently, this is an example, we found some uh, 16 millimeter reel to reels and they were just, you know, Frank Robinson and Veda Pinson at bats for a whole game, just like oh, a scouting cool. camera, just sitting there. And you're just watching these guys in a random Wednesday at Crosley Field you know go four for four three for four whatever and it just focuses on them and it's just what are we going to do with that i don't know but we have it and it's awesome so i love it i love it i know in the hall of fame is uh one of the i was going to ask because i told nick about this and it's one of like my most like well like most infamous like memories in my mind of riverfront uh the hall of fame you had this section where it's like kind of like it's supposed to look like kind of like a basement or so where there's like the bar area and there's like the tv yeah man cave have. yeah you know, yeah, it'd show like a blooper reel, and mm-hmm. on there was like one of my favorite clips ever. I was at the game when Deion Sanders was fielding a ball in the left field corner, and the ball bounced off his head. Any chance yep. we get a Riverfront blooper reel at some point to add to your series? Because that could be that, a fun movie in and of itself. Yeah, there's. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of that stuff. First of all, speaking of that room, um, it. I started at the Hall of Fame as I said to Mo in his podcast as a carny, right? Um, because that's what I did. I picked up baseballs and step right this way, three pitches for a dollar, that type of thing, right? That's what you did. And then you give tours, you know, that was awesome. Um, back in 05, when we first opened, it was a much different setting, of course, before the renovations. And we were just trying to get our feet wet. How can we run this? It was part museum, part entertainment for the kids, right? Um, and right next to the speed pitch, there was that room, that man cave where they had that blooper reel. And you may have loved that, my friend, but I couldn't stand it because after two years of listening to that reel oh god all the time it got so but now i miss it of course i do right because it was i mean some of my greatest times the hall of fame were upstairs in that third floor as that's playing on a loop um but yeah to answer your question i have there's a lot of rob dibble bloopers believe it or not randy myers a lot of a lot of uh, those types of things that i'm not sure how to present but it would be interesting um the ones that I could get away with, actually, you know, there are some that are not made for all audiences. Let's put it that way. <laughs> There's some interesting things we sure. found, especially the celebrations after the end of uh, 90, um, the Pirates, the um, the Parade, um, and of course, 95, um, the Dodger series, you know, uh, just just 99. I mean, just some incredible teams and some incredible moments. Just just fantastic. 
how is all this archive stuff stored? Like, is it, I think of this like a giant, like boxes that you just go through, or is it like cataloged or, or how? It used to be, I'll tell you, it used to be in the, in the early days, it was just, it's a place we used to call the dungeon because it was in the bowels of great American ballpark. And there'd just be, I'll never forget the first time I went down there in 05, I was sent down for something and me and a couple other uh, workers there, we went down and it's just scattered. It was just like my room when I was a teenager, right? You have like, Oh, there's Dave Parker jersey over here. There's Mario Soto's jersey over here. What's that? Is that a Brad Golden catcher's mitt? What? It's just everywhere. So because when they moved into Great American Ballpark, they had all this stuff from Riverfront, right? And they just shoved it into a closet like you would do when you move, right? You just shove everything into a closet. <laughs> and then it came time to start organizing it. Well, it wasn't until the Reds got the new renovations um, at the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, where they actually now have this archive, this room that is temperature controlled, very sophisticated system that is just, it's an amazing, amazing thing. I could spend days in there and still not even come close to touching, you know, it, just scratching the surface. It's unbelievable. It didn't used to be like that. One of the first things I ever did when I worked at the Hall of Fame was when Ryan Friel, I think it was five bases, he stole five or six, whatever the record was. Um, they were on the road in LA. Ryan Friel steals all gets the record and they come back in town. And I was sent the next Monday or Tuesday to go down to Bernie Stowe to pick up the cleats. And I remember going down there and just like, I'm going down here to pick up a pair of Ryan Friel's shoes to take back to display the Hall of Fame. I ended up down there talking to the guys, just you know, shooting the breeze. It was just like this can't be real. There's nowhere else this would happen. This is an amazing, amazing thing. And it was, that was just a random Tuesday, right? It was just, what a great, great gig it was. And then, of course, now that I'm Camelot Films and I don't work full-time for the Reds, do I miss that part of it? Absolutely. But now I, I'm free to do so many more things. I can do so many more projects, and I've still got my friends at the Hall of Fame as my number one client, and it's just been an incredible ride. All right, my last question for you. What is something that you can tell us about that isn't on display either at the hall of fame or in the stadium that, that is back there. That is just so cool. Hmm. I don't know if there's anything left. I, there are some base baseballs um, from um, the 1940 world series that I'm not sure if they've displayed because they're in such poor condition. Um, but, some that you know Lou Gehrig 3940 era that Lou Gehrig you know signed or taught tossed like just unbelievable right uh Joe DiMaggio there are some items that are still there of that elk like you know um baseballs bats um not a lot we've displayed pretty much everything but and I'd be willing to bet that um we'd go through there and find something because I, I told the story about the, the Pete Rose, you know, and Marge's, you know, desk. Oh, here's Pete envelope with Pete Rose's 4192 Jersey, just kind of sitting in this desk. I'm sure that there's more stuff we haven't even discovered yet because there's just so much and it's just, it's incredible. What a history, right? I mean, the Reds history, it's just unbelievable, but I can say for sure that I have nothing in my office. I have not taken anything. All of this is bought and I, or, you know, given to me as gifts. So <laughs> I haven't, but I will say I'll, the statute of limitations and I'll, I'll wrap this up with this. 
Uh, there was one time when I went down to the banks before when they tore down the front, the Hall of Fame was open, home plate was marked by a uh, concrete slab. And we snuck over the fence with Pete Rose's 3,000 hit bat. And we took swings that were in front on the site with Pete Rose's hit bat with gloves on, of course. And we would just take these wiffle balls and hit, try to hit, you know, as far as we could. Um, yeah, that was fun. Are you kidding me? That was amazing. An amazing night. And then you come back over and put it back. But yeah, I'm sure I won't get in trouble for that. Now the statute of limitations has passed. <laughs> that was a great night. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely awesome. Well, Cam, thank you so much for this, man. This is so awesome. We're so excited for this film. Um, but before we get out of here, please take a second to shout out your YouTube where people can find your work and you know where people can uh, get their hands and watch uh, Riverfront Remembered. Well, uh, at Cam Miller Films on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Cam Miller Films Facebook page um, is where you'll find my stuff. And the premiere is September 9th. It is sold out. So um, that event is sold out and it will be um, free to watch on YouTube eventually. I'm not sure when. It's very important for me that everybody gets to see this. So I want to make it free to those who cannot come to the premiere that they will be able to see it because it's just an important piece of Cincinnati history. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, man. Again, we're definitely grateful to have you. Uh, we're going to go and wrap up this special edition of Late Night Reds Talk Live. Uh, be on the lookout for Riverfront Remember, like Cam said, it's going to be on YouTube eventually. Uh, so when it is, you know, we'll be, maybe we'll do a nice solid film review of it. Uh, maybe we'll do a podcast where we do that. Um, Sounds awesome. We'll do a, but, we'll do like one of those things where we just go through it, where the commentaries things, and I'll tell like you director's about commentary. It. There yeah. you go. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. All right, that was a really fun interview with Cam Miller talking about his upcoming film, Riverfront Remembered. I am really looking forward to that. I'm sure you guys are as well. Uh, thanks so much to Cam for spending some time with us, uh, and uh, we hope his movie uh, really does well. Uh, if you haven't, please subscribe to Late Night Reds Talk on YouTube or anywhere you get uh, your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon, iHeart. We are on them all. Uh, please subscribe. Leave us a nice, kind five-star review. We really would appreciate it. If you're on YouTube, please hit that like button. It really helps us continue to grow the show uh, and provide more content uh, like tonight. Uh, as always, uh, Late Night Reds Talk is presented by uh, Bet Online as part of the Believe uh, Network. Uh, head on over to Bet Online. Use that promo code Believe50 to get 50% off on your next deposit. Uh, we'll be back uh, next Wednesday. We are uh, live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock or after the Reds game if they play on Wednesday. Uh, we'll continue to provide good content, hopefully, for you uh, through the rest of the year, into the offseason, every single week. Uh, thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate everyone's support. Go Reds!
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.